Well, turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We finish this morning our study of Paul's first letter to Timothy. His, that's his friend and fellow worker, of course. This, um, this powerful and practical letter can, can help each of us as we seek to know the Word of God as we make application. And think about this. First of all, for a local church, we see there's so much in this letter that we could learn, that we can understand how a local church is to function. But second, individually, because the things that Paul wrote to Timothy to encourage him to fulfill his ministry, God has given to us in the same way that we can stand for Jesus Christ. So this morning, it's the end of the letter. It's the last words to Timothy, and the key is to guard the truths of the Word of God, to hold fast to the Scripture. And Paul exhorts Timothy to keep as his foundation and focus the perfect Word of God. I think this is a key for all of us. We think about it both individually and as a local church, that the foundation has to be the Scripture, and our focus must be the Word of God. So may we be encouraged as we study First Timothy this morning and we finish our study. Well, of course, the question could be asked, where do you go for truth? How do we know what's right and wrong? And how do we know how we're to live in a fallen world? Now, that we, we think we know. We say, well, we got the Bible. Well, we live in a culture that is so confused, having rejected the Word of God. In fact, what the world says is, is here we find that there is no absolute truth and all, things, all views are equal. Think about this. In the world, it says there's no absolute truth. Each person must decide for themselves what they think is right. And so they say, well, you know, what's right for you is right for you. What's right for me is right for me. And everybody has to decide. The second thing tied in with that is if there is no absolute truth, then all views are equal. If nothing is true, then all things are the same. Uh, something is right for me, it's right for me. That may not be right for you, but then you have to do what's right for you. Well, where do we go? Well, the only place we go is to ourselves. It's subjective. My truth is, is truth is what I feel is right. Now, think about this. We are fallen people in a fallen world influenced by fallen angelic being. What makes we think that we could know what is right? Where do we go? Well, those of us who know Jesus Christ, of course, as Savior, we have a source of truth, and that is the Word of God. God so loved us that He gave His only begotten Son, Jesus, to come to die on the cross, to pay for sin, to rise again, to give us eternal life as a gift by faith. He has also given to us the truth, which is the Word of God. We can know right from wrong. We can know how we're to live while we're on this earth. There is such a thing as absolute truth. It is the Word of God. In John 17, 17, Jesus says, Thy Word is truth. We find in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It is a benefit for us. We find in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, that the Word of God came from God through man. And so when you really think about it, God, we're, God's Word came from God to man and from God through man. It's very perfect. The Bible is God's Word. It is the foundation of our lives. As we bring to a close 1 Timothy, we see Paul's final instructions to Timothy. And it deals, of course, with the Word of God. We've seen all the way through that the whole issue of false teachers. Five different times in 1 Timothy, he's dealt with the issues of false teachers. So obviously, in the church at Ephesus where Timothy is, there's some issues there. And so Paul writes to do that sort of thing, to, to hold fast. And as we study this, we find that he says to hold fast to the written revelation, hold fast to the Word of God. And this is the key for us, to hold fast to the Bible. We have God's Word. We're to know it. We're to apply it. We're to defend it. We're to guard it. We're to have, we have the truth of the Word of God. Have you ever thought about this? You hold in your hands. You hold in your hands the written revelation from God to know, to apply, and to pass on. Well, this morning we're at the end, and we're going to do two things. Let me show you what we'll do. We're going to see, first of all, see the final charge from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. It's told to the Word of God. We'll see that. And then right at the end, what we'll do is put a brief summary of the letter, sort of put it together for you so we can remember how it fits together. There's a lot of things there. 
this final section, if you remember, we said that beginning at verse 6 of chapter 6, going through verse 19, Paul dealt with the issues of money and materialism and finances and, and the love of money and giving and generosity and all those things. He dealt with that in that last section. And I want to remind you that he told six things. He basically said six things we do concerning money and riches. I want to remind you, he said, do not be conceited because we are rich. We're the richest people in the world. Don't be conceited. He said not to trust in riches because they're temporary. He said put your trust in God because he never changes. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He says do good. Do good works. Be rich in good works. And then he said be generous and ready to share. And that's how he ended that little section. He said, when we live that way, there'll be rewards for us when we stand before our Savior. So that was the last section. Well, this morning, the very final charge. Now, when I say last section, last big section, he's now to the final charge. And he deals with the Word of God. And it is powerful. Because at Countryside, if you've been here for any length of time, you know how we feel about the Bible. It is alive and powerful. It's perfect. It's God's Word. It's His revelation to us. It's to know, to apply, to pass on. It is the Word of God. Paul says to Timothy to guard it. And we want to see that this morning. In fact, as we look at this passage, there's a positive and a negative. Notice what he says, O Timothy, verse 20. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. That's the positive. Here's the negative. Avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. So at the very end, he says, hold to the Bible and turn away from that other stuff. So let's talk about it for just a second. Notice how he starts verse 20. He says, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. There's strong emotion there because Timothy was very close to him. In fact, we see back in chapter 2, uh, in Second Timothy chapter uh, 1, he calls him his son. He calls him beloved Timothy. In the book of Philippians, he says that he's a kindred spirit. Paul loved Timothy. Now, we know that Paul is in Macedonia, which is northern Greece. Timothy has been left in Ephesus. That's the church, the city of Ephesus, but the church is there. And Paul has written this letter to Timothy to give him these instructions and encourage him. And so now at the very end, he says, Oh, Timothy, his, his buddy his kindred spirit, the one who matched him. And, and he then gives this charge. Now notice what it is. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Now, the word guard there, entrusted, really guard the deposit. Something's been deposited to Timothy, and it is the word of God. That was a Greek word that meant put something for safekeeping. Actually, it was a banking term. Put it in the bank to be safe. He says, guard what has been entrusted to you. It is the word of God. He says, guard the word of God. Of God. There's two things I want you to remember about the Bible. First of all, revelation is God making Himself known, and inspiration is God making Himself known in written form. See, revelation is God making Himself known. Somehow God has revealed Himself and He's done it in a number of ways. But inspiration is God making Himself known in a written form. That's why we call it the inspired Word of God. It is God's revelation in a written form you have in your hand. God's revelation in a written form, we call it the Word of God. It's very, very powerful. The Bible is God's revelation for us. We're to guard it. We've been entrusted with it. Now, in our country, not, not only do you have a Bible, you probably have four or five Bibles. Each one of us has four or five Bibles. I mean, that's the way we, we, we don't always realize exactly what we have. It is the written Word of God. It is the message from God to us. We've been entrusted with it. Notice he says, so Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. It means deposited. God has given us his perfect word. This is God's word. Tertullian, who wrote, really he was a church father, he wrote in the second century, he says, the Bible does not blush. Prof. Hendricks at Dallas Seminary, he said, God has given us his word and he has not stuttered. You have the perfect Word of God. The Bible has been called, the Word of God in this letter has been called 
the truth, the commandment, the faith, the good confession, and the deposit. That's what we have. We have truth from God's Word. I said this a while ago, but I want to remind you of this. The Bible comes from God to man. The Bible comes from God through man. We have the Word of God, which is given from God to human beings. But He also gave us His Word through human beings. He used people like Paul and Peter and James and John, and He gave us His perfect revelation. Now, I want to remind you again that you have the Bible. It is perfect and true. We know it. We're supposed to apply it and study it and deal with it, and we have that. Now, he says to guard it. I want, I want you to think about three things when we talk about guarding the truth of the Word. We hold to it, we defend it, and we proclaim it. I want you to think about that. We hold to it. We make it the basis of our lives. We hold to it. We live our lives based on the truths and the principles of the Word of God. We live in a culture that says, what's right? We say, this is what's right. This is how we live. This is how we know how to live. This is how we know what we're to do. We go back to the Word of God, the truths and the principles. The second thing is we defend it. We, we are ready to give an answer to everyone for the hope that is within us. That's what 1 Peter 3.15 says. Do, can you defend the Scripture? You know, I say things like this. Do you believe that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, you have eternal life? You'd say, yes, I do. Can you go to the Scripture and prove that? Do you believe the Bible is God's perfect word and errant and true? Yes, I do. Can you go to the Scripture to prove that? Can we go to the Scripture and defend what we believe? Do we know what we believe and why we believe it? We must be ready to give an answer to everyone for the hope that is within us. And that's what he says. So the idea is to hold to it, to defend it. The third thing is to proclaim it. To proclaim the word of God, to make it known. Paul says in 2 Timothy, preach the word. The word preach there doesn't mean preach like a pastor behind a pulpit. It means to announce the truths, announce the word of God. We're to do that. And I think when we talk about proclaiming it, there's really two aspects. There's proclaiming the gospel and proclaiming the teaching, the teaching of the truths. Let's think about it for just a second, the gospel. The gospel message is very simple and very clear, and a lot of people are confused. It is very simple that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to the earth, died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. That's the good news message. He died and rose again. The response to the gospel is to believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. That's the gospel. That's what we to proclaim. We go in this community. We go in other places. You hear a message that is so confused, you're not sure what people are supposed to do. It is this simple. Jesus died and rose again. You believe in him. You have eternal life. It is that simple. That is the gospel. We are to proclaim that as we scatter. We've gathered to worship and to be trained, we scatter to take this message into the community. We not only are to believe it and to hold to it and defend it, but we're to proclaim it, proclaim the gospel. The second thing is the teaching. We're to teach the Word. We're to take the truths from the Word of God, to know them, to apply them, and to teach them to others. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2, he says, Take the things that you've been taught in the presence of many witnesses and entrust these to faithful people who will be able to teach others as well. That means this. That when we gather on a Sunday morning, and for me, with the great privilege of getting to teach the Scripture, you have not come to hear what I have to say about the Scripture. You have come to be taught the Word of God so that when you go out these doors, you are capable of teaching other people the Word of God. We're to know it. We're to apply it. We're to teach it. We're to proclaim the Word of God. So we're not just here to hear what this passage might say. We're here to understand the Scripture, be able to put it together, and then communicate that truth to other people. Take what we've been taught and pass it on to others. So the two things we proclaim is the gospel message, the message of salvation, and the truths of the Bible. That's what the, the uh, Great Commission is. Make disciples. Making disciples is evangelism and training. Giving the gospel and people trust Christ and then teaching them and training them. That's what we're to do. 
I hope and pray that that's the plan. And so we see, he says to Timothy, you've got to guard what has been entrusted to you. The truth of the Word of God, we're to know it. And so here's the question, are we guarding the truth? Are we holding to it? Are we applying it? Are we defending it? Are you ready to give an answer to what you believe? Are you proclaiming it, making disciples, leading people to Christ and training them? This is the truth for every one of us in this room. Sometimes we think that we, you know, we come together and we sing and then we hear a message from the Bible and we leave. We are getting taught the word for a reason so that we know it and apply it and then pass it on. Now, where does this begin about guarding the truth? You know where it begins? It begins right here. It begins in the pulpit. It begins in the pulpit of a church. Those of us in the pulpits must hold to and defend and teach the Word of God. Let me tell you something. Eugene Peterson wrote a book called Working the Angles. And here's what he said. He said, many pastors in America have become shopkeepers. They're preoccupied with how to keep the customer happy and how to lure the customer away from the competition down the street. I want you to understand something. The pastor's responsibility, the responsibility of the pastor in a local church is to proclaim and teach the word of God. That's the plan. 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, means to announce the word in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instructions. We are to announce the word of God. So the first aspect when he says to Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, He's saying, hold on to that word, defend that word, proclaim that word, and it begins first right here. My responsibility is to teach you the word of God. Sunday after Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, whenever we're together with a small group or whatever, our goal is to teach the word of God so that we can know it, so that we can apply it, so that we can pass it on. Now, that's the positive. He says, guard, hold to what has been entrusted to you. That's the word of God. Then he gives the negative, and here's what he says. Turn away. He says, but avoiding, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. Now, when he says avoiding worldly chatter, the word avoid literally means turning away from. He's saying, listen, you hear this, you get away from this. The world is full of this worldly chatter. And when he's talking about worldly and empty chatter, he, he's saying the things that, that are not the truth from God's word, the things that people say. Listen, you can go into this community and you can go throughout this world and you can go into churches and what you have is worldly chatter. They're not teaching the scripture. There are some of you that you have good friends that you know the places they go, they are not being taught the word of God. You should not let them go there. You should tell them to quit playing the games and get to a place where the Bible is taught so they can begin to grow as believers. That's the key. That's why Paul said, Timothy, you better guard this and you better get away from this other stuff. We call it false teaching. We call it empty chatter. He calls it worldly and empty chatter. He says avoid it. It is true that one truth from the Word of God is worth more than all the wisdom of man. I read something not too long ago that said that churches are empty and not growing because of too much dull doctrine. Now, what they've actually found out, that churches are empty and not growing because the Word of God is not being taught. That people are going week after week and they're saying, why should I go and listen to that? Why should you go and listen to some guy talk when you can go and hear the Word of God? And that's what Paul says to Timothy. Timothy You guard the word and you avoid this worldly and empty chatter. This is the fifth time in the book he's talked about these people who are teaching things in the wrong way. 
Stephen Olford said this, All too often a biblical passage is read at the start of the service, like the national anthem, to get things going, and then not referred to again. The authority rests on the Word of God. He's saying avoid these false teachers, avoid this empty chatter and these opposed, as he calls it, worldly and empty chatter and opposing arguments. We've seen all the way through the book that he calls it myths and false teachings. And notice this word. Notice in, in your Bible is like mine. I'm using New American Standard. He says empty chatter and opposing arguments. That word opposing there means it's actually an opposition. Do we realize this? That false teaching and teachers are actually against the Bible. They are. They're going contrary to the Scripture because they're teaching things contrary. When we did our study in Sunday school on the cults, when we went through all these different cults, we talked about what they teach, but we showed how that what they teach, that we'd always look at what do they teach about, what do they say about Christ, the Bible, and salvation. We find out they don't match that. You know, one of the things you can do, if, you, if you're reading a book, if you're looking at somebody on TV, you listen to somebody on the radio, you're going to a church or something, if you can find out what they believe about salvation, the Bible, and Christ, it'll make a huge difference. Do they believe the Bible is God's Word or not? Do they believe that salvation is a gift by faith or is it by works? Do they believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died and rose again or not? What do they believe? It goes back to the truths of the Word of God. So Paul says, Timothy, you better hold on to the Word of God. Guard it, defend it, proclaim it, and then you better turn away from this worldly and empty chatter and this opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. It's called false knowledge. I mean, that's what, you know, it's, the people who do this, they, they talk as if they know what they're talking about, but they really don't. In fact, I read this, the endless babble of those who reject divine revelation. Now, let me tell you something. Be careful when you turn on the TV and there's a scholar talking about the Bible, because most of the time on TV, the scholars talking about the Bible are people who think they're scholars, but they don't believe the Scripture. Because I have people come up to me all the time and they say, Jimmy, I was watching this National Geographic show and this Bible scholar was there, but he said this. He didn't say what the Bible said. I read something the other day that, from a Bible scholar, and here's what he said. He said the Exodus happened because a volcano exploded and caused dust to go up, and that caused the darkness so the Egyptians couldn't see, and then it, it caused a tidal wave that drowned the Egyptian army. Now, do you believe that? If that's true, then how come it was light where the Jews were, but dark where the Egyptians were? And they were side by side, basically. And how did the Jewish people get all the way across the Red Sea? Uh, you know, how did that work? By the way, I, the other night I did this. I don't usually do this, but I, I, I mean, I do this a lot. I'm sitting in front of the TV going click, click, click. I do that a lot. But I actually stopped because I saw that it said on the History Channel, it said... The Exodus and Aliens. And so I said, okay, i got to watch this because what is this? As they had several scholars, one from England and two in the northeast at some divinity schools in the northeast part of the United States. And they were talking about how the nation of Israel, how the Jewish people were able to leave Egypt and wander in the wilderness for 40 years. How did they get the food? you know how they got the food? Aliens came. And gave them a food-making machine. They even had a drawing of it. And if you remember Lost in Space, remember the robot that would go, Danger, danger, Will Robinson. You remember that? That's what it looked like. And so here's this guy with all his books saying, 
We believe a alien came to the and you know and gave them a food making machine. That, that's pretty stupid, don't you think? And some people believe, he believes that. This is falsely called knowledge. So be careful when you go to the scholars and they started telling you how that the Bible's really not right, that there wasn't any exodus, and they 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 didn't really go across the dead, you know the Red Sea wasn't parted, and they and a food making machine came down. That's the only way they made it. I mean, let's face it; those people don't know because they've rejected the Scripture. When you reject the truth, you lose the truth. It's powerful. It's powerful. It's not called truth. It's called worldly and empty chatter and opposing arguments, what is falsely called knowledge. Now, what happens when people go that route? Notice what he says. Verse 21, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. When it says gone astray from the faith, it means they moved away from the body of truth. When it says the faith, it's not, not saying they quit believing something. The truth is you can't lose your salvation. You put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're saved, and you're saved forever. This is saying that these people have moved away from the body of truth, the faith. They moved away from the Bible. And there are a lot of people who move away from the Bible. There are a lot of people who say, well, I used to believe that, or I believe some of this, or, you know, I don't believe this part about, you know, the days of creation and that kind of stuff, and I don't believe about this Jonah and a big fish and everything, and I don't believe about this, but I believe about this. So who becomes the judge of the Word? They do. The Word is the judge, not you. The Word is alive and powerful and sharpening two-edged sword, not you. The Word of God is what's accurate and truth. And so there are some people, when they profess these knowledge, they've gone away from the faith, the truths of God's Word. Wow. Think about the truth. Go back to the same three things. What do they say about Christ? What do they say about the Bible? What do they say about salvation? Well, he ends this, this little section with a statement about grace. And you know, you know what we think about grace here. Notice how he ends it. He says, grace be with you. Grace is it's one of the greatest words of all in the Bible. It's plural at the end, grace be with you. So he's writing to the whole body, not just writing to Timothy, but he's writing to the whole group of believers in Ephesus. And he says, grace be with you, the grace of God. Now, we understand what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor. But a lot of people talk about grace, but they don't understand grace. See, grace is getting what you do not deserve. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is not based on what you do. I heard a guy say one time, he says, I believe in the grace of God and that you're saved by grace. And so tonight, if you'll repent of your sins, give your life to Jesus, walk down the aisle, make a public profession and agree to serve him, you can be saved. That's not grace. That's works. People talk about grace, but they don't understand it. By grace, you are saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so he talks about grace. He says, grace be with you. I want to think about the grace of God for a second in, in the three, four areas here. First of all, grace for salvation. I just talked about it, but you understand that our salvation is not based on what we do. It's not based on our faithfulness. It's not based on what we try to do. It is based on Jesus Christ and him alone. He died and rose again. God offers to us the gift of eternal life. You believe in him, you're saved and saved forever. It's the grace of God. A lot of people don't grasp that. They'll say, you're making it too easy, or that doesn't sound right, or that sounds like it's too easy. The great, you know, there's not one thing you could do for it. If you can do something for it, it's no longer a gift. It's not grace. Grace for salvation. The second aspect of grace is the Christian life. The Titus passage tells us that the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live righteously and godly in this present age. 
See, the grace of God teaches us how to live. We live, we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's the grace of God that you have the Bible. It's the grace of God you have the Holy Spirit. It's the grace of God you have spiritual gifts. It's the grace of God you have the body. It's the grace of God all this is together. It's all grace in the Christian life. The third thing, even the future aspect. It's all grace. We're looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's going to come get us and change this lowly body into a body like His. That's not based on what we do. It's the grace of God. He's already said, I promise, I'm going to prepare a place for you. When I get it ready, I'll come back and get you. If it wasn't that way, I would have told you. It's all the grace of God. He doesn't say, if you live good, I'll come back and get you. He said, I'm coming back and get you anyway. Because it's all grace. And the fourth thing I put up there is we don't always talk about, but grace toward others. Because we want God to deal with us in grace, but we want to deal pretty legalistically with other people. We want everything to be grace dealing with us, but when we have to deal with other people, we say, well, I'm not going to let you get away with that. Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech be seasoned with salt, with grace. How do we deal with other people? Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. It's all the grace of God grace wow so we see his charge hold to the truth avoid false teaching and go with the grace of god wow there's a lot in this letter now as we've got to the end let me just do this and just just in the few minutes that we have left i want to just briefly give you the overview of this letter of course let me remind you of this that uh, Paul and Timothy, of course, were close. And the best that we know that Paul and Timothy were in the city of Ephesus at the church of Ephesus. Paul leaves. We don't know why he left, but he went to Macedonia, which is northern Greece. After he left and went to Macedonia, he wrote this letter to Timothy, who's in the church at Ephesus. And he's asked Timothy to direct the affairs there. He's done it, asked him to do two things. One is to is to deal with the church because there's some problems, obviously, with false teachers. And it's to raise up some, some leadership and all that. So Timothy's got to deal with the church in Ephesus. And the second thing is... He writes to encourage Timothy to stand for the truth. And so if you want to look at it, he gave instructions to the church. In fact, in 1 Timothy 2, 14 and 15, he says so that you'll know how to conduct yourself in the household of God. And then it was to encourage Timothy to stand and fulfill his ministry. And you can see how that would be very easy for us to apply. We look at the truths and we say, what are the truths and principles found in this book that we apply in our lives as a church and then how can we be encouraged from the things that Paul writes to Timothy? And so that's what we've seen over these weeks. We've gone verse by verse, passage by passage. Now, let me remind you of something. One of the things that we want to be able to do, and it's, and it's a lifelong thing, it's something as you continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, is that you know the Word. You understand. You understand the truths. Because if somebody came to you and said, what is this, uh, what's this First Timothy thing about? That you would be able to say, well, First Timothy, it's a, Paul, it's a letter written by Paul the Apostle to his young friend Timothy. Paul's in Macedonia. Tim, Timothy's in Ephesus. And he writes to him to encourage Timothy to stand for Christ and to give instructions to the church. Wouldn't it be good if you could do that? And what if somebody said, well, what's that book of Hebrews about? Or what's the book of John about? Or what's the book of Exodus about? Or what's that book of Revelation about? Or what about Second Timothy? What's that about? Wouldn't it be great that you could be able to say, well, now here's what Second Timothy is about. Or here's what the book of Romans is about. Or here's what the Gospel of John is about. And that's why we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. That's why we're to study to show ourselves approved. That's why as the time goes by, we teach the Word of God so that you can know this and be ready to give an answer. So let's think about... 
about the book as a whole. The first were instructions to the church, and he wrote about a number of things. Let me throw some of these things up here for you. He All the way through, he dealt with false teachers. Five different times, he said, deal with false teachers, because if you have false teachers in the body, they, they move people away from the truths of God's Word, and they divide the body. So he talked about uh, false teachers. He talked about praying for those in leadership. He appoint, talked about pointing elders and deacons. In First Timothy chapter 3, we have uh, the characteristics of leadership in a church. He talked about how to deal with the leaders, and those kind of things is really powerful. He even dealt with the whole issue of widows in the body. Remember we talked about widows and widows indeed and how that fit together. And then there's some more things. He talked about relationship among the believers. Remember he talked about older men and older women and younger men and younger women and how to treat them. And he even talked about slaves and masters and we made application about employers, employees and those kind of things. And then the last part, beginning at verse 6 of chapter 6, going through verse 19, he talked about contentment and riches and money and all those things. We talked about that a little bit this morning. And then of course the final thing is to hold to the Word of God. So there's a lot of things in First Timothy that we as a local church can apply. But the second part is the instructions to Timothy. And we can make application because here's what we do. In the same way that he told Timothy to fulfill his ministry, we can fulfill our ministry. We can use the gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given to us Use them for his honor and glory, the time, possessions, abilities. Listen, there are many believers that if you said to them, what are your spiritual gifts? They don't know. They may say, well, I think it might be this, but they don't know. All of us, every one of us in this room, we have gifts, talents, and abilities. You have the privilege of being in ministry for Jesus Christ. And you should be taking the gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given to you, and you should be using them in a local body. And every one of us in this room should be plugged in somewhere, serving in some way. Fulfilling the ministry that God has for us. The second thing is to live by the word of God. That's the key that he told Timothy. He said, guard what has been entrusted to you. Stand for the truth of God's word. Remember what he said? Live by it, defend it, and proclaim it. And that's what every one of us in this room should do. We should study it so that we can know it, that we can live by it. We can defend it, being ready to give an answer, and then we proclaim the truth. Be careful. There's false teaching out there. He's saying, don't, he says, get away from that. Avoid it. Move away from that because that's, that messes people up. We stand for Jesus Christ in the midst of a fallen world as we obey the truth, as we defend the truth, and as we proclaim the truth. Well, we're actually through with the letter. There's so much there. We'll start in just a couple of weeks. We're going to go ahead and go Second Timothy. I just want to put these two together for you. See Paul's last letter that he wrote. But as we finish, I want to remind you of this. May we learn from this letter seeing how we as a church, with our foundation as the Word of God, how we're to function, and then how individually we're to stand for God's Word and fulfill our ministry. Let's let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these great truths, and thank you for this letter, Lord. There's just so much in it. And Lord, we realize that as a local church, we can see truths all the way through this thing that we can apply with the false teachers and the leadership and the widows and relationships and instructions and contentment and holding to the Word and all of those things. So, Lord, may we as a local church make application of these great truths. And then second, Lord, thank you that we look at Timothy's life and the thing that Paul wrote to Timothy, and that we make applications that we'd take the gifts, talents, and abilities that you've given us and that we'd fulfill our ministry and that we'd live by the word of God. And I pray, Lord, that every one of us will defend the truths, will know the truths, defend the truths, live out the truths, and, and teach other people these truths so that when we stand before our Savior, we will hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.